1: Welcome to the Sixer Cents Podcast, hosted by site co-experts Lucas Johnson and Chris Klein. Welcome to another episode of the Sixer Cents
2: Podcast. I'm your host, Lucas Johnson. With my co-host today, uh, instead of Christopher Klein, we have Uriah, who is normally our producer. And then we have a recurring guest here. We have Jonathan Guy, one of our contributors, back on. Hey, guys, how are we doing tonight?
1: Doing well, Lucas. How about you?
2: Doing good, Uriah. You you excited to be in the co-host chair again?
1: I'm excited just to talk playoff basketball. We've been waiting for this for seemingly months, and it's finally here. Yeah, we definitely have a lot of things to talk about. This is the eve of the playoff.
2: Sixers play the, you know, on the first day against the notorious and you know what seems like an eternity rivals in the Boston Celtics. So, Uriah, you want to go what, take it away with our first question? Our first sure. Topic?
1: Absolutely. As we all know, we know this time tomorrow night, the Sixers will be going up against their longtime rival, the Boston Celtics. And the first question that we're going to dive into has to do with a player from the Sixers. And that player is anyone who we feel as though would be the most critical for them to beat the Celtics. So we'll put it out there. Which single Sixer player would be the most critical?
3: I think it's got to be Al Horford. I mean, I think there's a number of players that you could pick out, and I think there's multiple matchups that I'm really looking forward to seeing. But I think it comes down to Al. There's a couple of reasons. I mean, one, he played with Boston, so he knows the system a little bit. And he was a big-time player when he was there, and this is the time for him to show up against his old team. And also, he's most likely being put into the starting lineup. There might be Matisse in there, but – if he does get the starting nod, he needs to prove that he needs to be there. He needs to step up without Ben, and he has to be able to show that he can play alongside Embiid, not, hopefully not just for this year, but if he wants to prove that he can do it going forward. So I think he's the most critical, and I think he's the player that is what's going to be the difference maker in this series.
2: You bring up a good point with Al Horford, and I'm sure we'll talk more about their assist. Uh, you know him knowing their their system going on, but I'm actually going to go with the rookie here, him, at East Steible. I recently wrote that Steible should be starting over Al Horford. Matchups is is essential in this in this you know playoff series, and with the fact that Ben Simmons is gone, you lose a top three. I am what I'm, in my opinion a top three defender in the NBA, and Ben Simmons. And outside of Josh Richardson, who's a good two-way player, but not on the same level as uh, Ben, you have Matisse Theibel, who can, at least in terms of getting in the lanes and disrupting passes, is on 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 this similar uh, plane of, of abilities with Ben. So I think in terms of matchup, because you don't want Al Horford guarding even the likes of a, you know, Gordon Hayward, who, you know, isn't the who he used to be, but still is dangerous enough off the dribble, that would probably be a problem for Al. So, in my opinion, it has to be Matisse Thibel, because he's the only one that you could really put on uh, Jason Tatum, to pop, who has a chance, you know, assuming that he stays out of foul trouble, to uh, give Tatum any type of problems.
1: I actually, when I, I wrote an article last week, Lucas, and... Ironically, both players that were mentioned already were in my top five. I do agree, and I read your article, Lucas. It was a good job on emphasizing the significance of Thibel's defense. Uh, I'll have to side with Jonathan in here when it comes to Al Horford. We know what we're going to get from Embiid. We know he's going to be a scoring machine. There's nobody on the Celtics that can really match up with him. He's going to get rebounds. He's going to be a factor passing out of the double team. But I think Horford's presence and his leadership, doing all the little things that I think a lot of people overlook. And then, of course, when it comes to uh, giving Embiid minutes, we know that the Sixers have struggled in the past when Embiid sits on the bench. And I think the reason why Brand brought Horford in for as much money as he paid or overpaid is to to help the Sixers stay afloat when their star center is resting on the bench. So I think he's critical for that, for giving him beat minutes, and just bringing that playoff experience. A lot of people don't remember is that Horford has been in multiple conference uh, conference final champion or conference finals in the East. So he brings that 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 experience. He brings that calmness. So I, I would agree with uh, Jonathan that that aspect.
2: I will just say this about Al Horford's experience. Yes, he has been to multiple conference finals, but he hasn't gotten past there. So, I mean, I'm not trying to disparage him. I'm just, it's it's something to remember. But you guys bring up good points about Horford, and I'm not saying that he's not essential in this matchup, but I just think in terms of defensively matching up, I think the eyeball is just, he's the only one
1: that can somewhat replicate what Ben can do defensively. Good point, Lucas. And speaking of matchups, let's move on to the next question. The next question is: What is your key matchup in this series? Give me a player from the Celtics and a player from the Sixers. In terms of which matchup do you think stands out to you?
3: Well, I might not answer this question as directly as you'd want, but it's going to be who's ever on Kemba. I think it's Kemba versus either Richardson or Thibault, and I'm sure they're going to Sixers are going to throw a number of people at him. But that's what I'm looking for. I, I mean, this year particularly, but even in two, three, four years past, we get torched by good guards. We get torched by Devin Booker, Damian Lillard. I mean, good guards know how to score points against us. So I think they need to figure something out. It needs to come from Brett, but it's going to be a number of the wing players guarding Kemba, and hopefully, like Lucas was saying, hopefully Thibel can step up because I think that's got to be our best shot of trying to contain Kemba a little bit.
2: So I'm going to agree that Kemba, I I, I I'm going to take it a, a different direction, but I do believe that Kemba's the Celtics player to watch for. And I think on the sixth side, it's going to be shake Milton. Now I don't think they're going to be matched up defensively too much on each other. I think Richardson's still going to get the, the nod on that for the most part, but who knows, you know, he may end up Richardson may end up having to guard, uh, you know, Jalen Brown. Cause Jalen Brown's been playing out of his mind. Um, uh, you know with Kemba it's his injury because you know he's been struggling with knee issues uh, since before the hiatus and you know they even had him on minutes restrictions you know throughout the bubble too so I think Kemba's knee is important to really worry about and then you got to see how Matisse Theibel does against Kemba you know offensively and when he's matched up against him defensively offensively Milton hasn't been looking like the pre-bubble Milton. He's been very, I think at times very he's been hesitant offensively. And I wrote about this recently. You know, Milton's still a second year player from the second round who's, you know, only twenty-three years old. But we've seen the potential. We know what he can do. Uh, but at the same time, it's kinda like if if he can tap into it offensively, because Walker's You know he he can pick your pocket, but he's not gonna he's not gonna he's not an all world stopper defensive point guard. So Milton should be able to take advantage of him with his size, especially. So that's something that we need to look at. And then defensively, like I said, Milton's Milton's has extremely long arms. I believe it's over seven feet or over in terms of his wingspan. So I think in terms of that, if he can. Especially when he's matched up against Kemba, if he can slow Kemba down with his, uh, you know, normally large, uh, you know, you know, reach, I think that's something that the Sixers need, especially.
1: Yeah, Shake and any, he, he's just a big question mark to me, Lucas. And I think whoever's guarding Kemba, to your point, Jonathan, is is going to be critical. I'm going to go with the big man. I think whoever Brad Stevens puts on Embiid, they're going to be in for punishing. And I think Embiid has a lot to prove. And I think after getting ousted two years in a row in the playoffs, I think he's going to be able to take those experiences, all that heartache and all that loss. And I think he he's just going to dominate. Before his ankle injury, he was averaging, what, 32 and 13 or 14. So I think Tice and, and Cantor, they're going to have their hands full. And again, when he was passing out of the double team, before he got injured, he was doing a pretty good job at it, so I think the most important matchup for me it's got to be the big guy. I think it be that that's going to be a big big factor in this series so the next question let's let's shift to another big man on the sixers it has to do with Al Horford. We know that he played for Brad Stevens for several years and he had pretty good success in that in that system uh, in Boston now the question has to do with does he have some type of inside knowledge? And if that inside knowledge of Stevens' system, as well as the preferences of all his former teammates, do you think that's going to uh, help with the Sixers in terms of maybe having an advantage?
3: I mean, in in regards to the game plan, I think Brad Stevens is obviously going to switch it up. He knows that Horford used to play there, but I think Horford knows the players, which is more key, their tendencies, what sides they prefer, kind of their spots on the floor. And I think that's where his knowledge comes in. I think he played two of the four games uh, of the matchup this year. And I think he had like 16 and 17 points and he was positive plus minus. And one of the games, I think he was plus 20, but he's, he knows what he's doing on the court and he definitely understands his old teammates. So I think it's more, his knowledge of the players, as opposed to the system, that's what's really going to benefit him in this series. Because I think Brad Stevens understands that. So I'm
2: I'm not going to be quite as optimistic about what exactly Horford can bring to the table. Because back when Horford was on the uh, on the Celtics, he was the he was the primary playmaker mo- most of the time down the floor. You know, outside Kyrie, but Kyrie's more of a you know dribble, 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 dribble. Shoot, make a take a terrible shot, make it half the time. Um, no offense to Kyrie, but no. Um, so, but the offense has changed. Uh, you know, since Horford's left. You know, Jason Tatum is the primary you know scorer now. Uh, Gordon Hayward is healthier and taking a m- bigger role as a playmaker. Kimball Walker is, you know, a different monster than you know, Kyrie in terms of, you know, willingness to play within the, you know, role of the offense. And even, you know, Jason Tatum and uh Jalen Brown have improved as players as well. So in that regard, you know, I don't know if Horford, you know, oh well, this is what my teammates used to do, but most of them have changed, you know, Hey, uh, Brown and Tatum, have got better. Hayward has gotten healthier. Most of the big men, uh, Daniel Tice was on the team last year, but like, I don't, you know, I think, I, I think it might be, yeah, he might know a little bit about the scheme, but I think overall, it's not as big of a, as a, you know, plus as, you know, we would like to think it is.
1: Yeah, I I think you guys are echoing exactly. It's a combination of what I was thinking. Because of that, I'm just I'm just going to keep it moving because I think the last question revolving this this part of the series coming up with the Celtics. This next question has to do with some uh some uh, scores to settle. And when I say that, we both know or all of us know on this call that we were embarrassed. Let's call it what it is. 2 years ago in 2018. Um, I think we lost four games to one, and we lost in pretty bad fashion. It's a different team, and obviously Ben is is out because of his injury. So this has to do with the concept of revenge, right, getting back at the team that embarrassed you two years ago. So what do you guys think? Does Brett Brown and Embiid have uh, – do they have revenge on their minds after getting knocked out by Boston two years ago, or do you think this is a new time and it's a fresh start?
3: They have to have revenge. I mean, I have revenge. Put me out on the court. Uh, I mean, that, that was, like you said, it was just embarrassing. There's not much more to say about that. But I, I think Embiid's been there long enough, too. I wrote an article a couple weeks back about how Boston was just dominating us for the past five years. It's almost seemed like until this year when we went three and one, they just owned us. I think we might have had one win in 12 or 13 games. So I think there's obviously revenge from that series because of how bad of a beating it was. But I think it's just built up revenge from just five years of just just being the little brother in this scenario. And, and this has got to be the time where Embiid takes his revenge out on him.
2: I don't think Brett Brown's the type of guy that, that holds a grudge and is vengeful. Um, but in terms of Joel Embiid, this could totally be a revenge thing. Jonathan's outlined the fact that the Celtics have had the Sixers numbers for most of the time. And, you know, it might be more than just Embiid. It might be a little bit Horford, too, because, you know, things didn't end well there. You know, so I think overall, I think it could be a revenge game. But I also think it's Joel Embiid just knowing the fact that he's going to have his way inside the paint. Because literally no one on that team has the chance of stopping him. Both Robert Williams and Daniel Daniel Tice are six eight. Cantor six ten, but or six eleven. I forget the exact measurement, but he's uh he's not going to do anything against Embiid. I mean, he's a big body, but he's not going to be able to stop Embiid. So I think overall this is going to be a uh, fun time for Embiid, whether revenge or not.
1: He know he's gonna he's going to dominate their bigs. Well, we, we know Embiid, he, he just, he he's an entertaining guy. He loves to have fun. But at the same time, we know that his maturity level is not what it could be in terms of being a veteran in this league for as long as he's been in. So I'm going to agree with you, Lucas, in that Embiid definitely has some revenge on his mind. Brett Brown, not so much. He's He's been a coach. He's been around since early, what, the 1990s or the late 90s, I, I think Embiid has a lot to prove. I think him crying on national TV against the Raptors after Kawhi hit that shot, I think that resonated with him over the summer. And I think he has a lot to prove. So I, I definitely think it's on his mind. And and to advance and to beat that team, it kind of reminds me of, um, I know you guys remember when AI, when Iverson, two years straight, they just got ousted by the Pacers. The Pacers just mm-hmm. owned them, and it took that, that 2001 series for them to finally get over that hump. And you know what? Maybe Boston this year is our hump. Maybe we, that's, that's the challenge we have to, to get through in order for them to advance.
2: I can see where you're coming from on that, Uriah, for sure. But I, I, I want to go ahead and uh, instead of looking to the future, I want us to look to the past now about the last three games the Sixers played played against the Suns, the Raptors, and the Rockets. So, Jonathan, I want you to answer this first. Who or what stood out in the Suns game for you?
3: I think the bench stood out in the Suns game. I mean, there's a couple people specifically, and it's Burks and Neto, and I'd focus more on Neto. I think he he showed that he deserves some role time. I think with Ben out, I mean, Shake is a point guard, but I think Neto's the one true brought up that way, point guard that's still on this roster. And I think at some point you need to find him time on the floor because he makes the right pass, he can score, and he's just a smart player. And I think that that's what I like seeing the most out of the Suns game. And I I know we're very deep at the wing position and guard position, but I think Brett's got to look and get the one true point guard on, on the floor at some point in this series.
2: You're, uh, Jonathan, did you talk to Chris before we started this? This That that sounded like a Chris answer.
3: <laughs> I did not, but Damn. I totally see where you're coming from. I I think Chris is bringing me onto his side.
2: Supporting uh, uh no, no, not another one, not another one.
1: Okay, right. what are your thoughts? Well, I'm, I'm going to step aside and give it right to you, Lucas. I was out of the – well, not out of the state, but I was – I didn't watch the game. I was camping with my wife, so I didn't even have reception. I wasn't able to get on Twitter, so I didn't even see the game, and I didn't I didn't watch the highlights, so I'm going to defer to you, sir. So, I was going to talk about this, but now I have to talk
2: about how Neto instead. Let me just say this. I wrote recently on Neto. The Sixers have put themselves into a terrible situation with the point guard depth. Um, I'm not... It's not that I don't think Neto is an NBA player. I think he's a third-string point guard. And like with like you said, Jonathan, the fact that the Sixers don't have real depth because they thought Ben Simmons was the point guard until, like, the bubble. So now the Sixers are stuck with Shake Milton, who's a combo guard, who hasn't really had too much, you know, playmaking responsibilities, though he hasn't done terrible in the bubble in terms of passing. Um... Then you have Alec Burks, who's really a shooting guard, but just a like uh, ball—you know—ball. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, usage heavy, you know, shooting guard, ball dominant shooting guard uh, that can dribble the ball well enough to run the plays. Um, and then you have Hauneto, who, like you said, is a true point guard. You know, that's that's has been his primary position the whole time. He played well. I'm not going to deny that. I just I'm not a fan of the fact that the Sixers have to rely on a player who I would have on a third string as a third string uh, point guard for most teams in the NBA. <laughs> so that's that's my thought. I thought Mike Scott played very well as well. You know I I've liked this Bubble Scott. I guess we can nickname him that. Is is that a good one? Is it Bubble Scott kind of like Bubble how Scott. they like you like you know how you got like hoodie mellow and all that? How about we do Bubble, <laughs> Bubble
1: Scott? I like that. Yeah, I think we need more bubble Scott in, in the rest of the playoffs.
3: I, I think guess. he played really well. Yeah, I, I, I like Scott as well. And back to Neto real quick, I think about a year ago I joined or Sense and I was writing and my first article was about him. He kind of fell out of the lineup a little bit through the season, but maybe I'm just supporting supporting the callback to my guy.
1: <laughs> Your first yeah. article was on Neto? Wow,
3: yeah, that's and it was actually, can he play in the postseason? So it's just, it's full circle right now. And
2: I, I remember that article. I remember, <laughs> I think I proofread that
1: one. Yeah, I did. Oh my gosh. You're right, that's a callback there. Yeah, your next <laughs> Net, your next nettle article, Jonathan, is going to be Neto being the MVP in the finals. So get, yeah. get ready for that. <laughs> Either
3: that or he got cut. Okay,
1: so I think we should move on to the Raptors game. Who or what stood out to
2: you guys in that one? Jonathan, your thoughts?
3: I think Tobias did. Tobias was 8 of 13 shooting in that game, and that's what we need. I mean, when we paid him the big bucks, we expected him to be a shooter and a scorer, and with Ben out, he – I mean, it's going to be the primary scorer, but Tobias has to be the number two, and he has to be putting up big numbers and shoot like that. So I hope he can keep that up.
1: I think I'm going to jump in here and, and give some – some uh some shine to corkmaz he went five for nine from three and if the sixers are going to really do anything in the playoffs they're going to need him to step up we know he's a liability on defense but whatever he can't get done on defense his three-point shooting will definitely assist but I really want to what stood out to me is I hate to say it is is Embiid's fragility (laughs) I know he got whacked on the hand by by his his buddy um who 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 fouled him on that play where he got hit? that was Marcus Hall. Marcus Hall, right. So he he got whacked on the hand, and I'm thinking if it's not his ankle, it's his hand. If it's not his hand, if it, it's his knee. If it's not his knee, it's his face. So I, it, that stood out to me, and I just hope that if he gets hurt again, it's just it's going to be an off season of okay, is Embiid worth paying, or should we trade him, or is Ben worth keeping or trading. So I think Embiid's health really stands out to me from that game.
2: That's an interesting take, Uriah. I wasn't thinking that. Um, so you guys bring up a couple good points. I recently wrote wrote about how Tobias Harris is starting to justify his contract in the bubble. Uh, prior to the last game, I think he was averaging what was it, twenty two points a game, around twenty two point points, a game. and that's what you paid him for. You're not you're not going to get. Exactly. We all knew when the Sixers paid him eighty million, that you know, one hundred eighty million, they weren't going to get one hundred eighty million worth of you know production out of him because he's not that type of player. But what we were hoping for was a guy that could score over twenty, twenty points a game, that um that could rebound the ball well, which he has been doing very well, and he's been aggressive, and that's I think is the biggest difference between. There were points in the season where, especially in the beginning, that Tobias was not aggressive. And Tobias was searching for his shots, he was attacking, and maybe that's a result of them being out, but I'm not exactly sure, because even in the the first couple games, he scored a lot in those first two games as well, so I like, as a whole, this whole entire bubble experience, the the Toby experience has been great for me, it's been refreshing, it makes me feel so much better about his contract, it's never going to be fully justified, but I like it. The one thing, you brought up Korkmaz, too, and I do, I you know what I, I don't know, I, I never really clicked with me, but you know where his, he catches the ball almost up to his face half the time, and he shoots the ball, and when he catches it that high, I notice that he does a lot better making those shots versus catching it lower. So that's that's a weird little thing that I've noticed, and he has a very, his, his release has gotten even quicker, I feel. Um, but yeah, and Embiid's and health is always a, issue and I think it's going to be an issue but the bad news is the insurance that the team put on the beginning of his contract just ran out so it's going to be interesting how the Sixers move forward because any type of injury protection protections on that contract I think have uh have been nullified up to this point in his deal now but I want to move on to the Rockets game and I didn't get the I, I recorded it and I watched I watched most of it I didn't get to I think After uh, half uh, near the end of the third quarter, I kind of uh, I'm not gonna lie, I checked out a little bit because it was you know at that point it was getting to the end of the bench type guys. And before we get there, can we go back and just give Kyle Quinn a shout out for the Suns game? We none of us mentioned him, and he almost got a
1: triple double, right? Didn't it was that he was yeah, it was Cork
2: yeah, it was Cork Maz's fault that he didn't pass him the ball at the end of the game. Yeah, I blame Cork Moss on that.
1: Cork Moss is going to have to buy everybody, I don't know, three weeks worth of Chick-fil-A or or Popeye's chicken. That's going to be his. You know, he did apologize. He
2: apologized after the game. But um, going to the Rockets game, who do you guys think? Who or what stood out to you guys in that game? Jonathan?
3: It was a little tough because, like you were saying, it was just they were playing a lot of bench people. Both teams were. it, It looked more like an actual pickup game, which I know some of the bubble games have. But. Again, I think it was just a bench. I think Burke specifically, he was four of six from three, and we know he can shoot the ball. I think that he officially made it known that he should be in the rotation. Uh, I think the Twitter poll of the week a couple of weeks ago, last time I was on, was who should get the rotation. And, I, and some write-in candidate said, you guys can't forget about Burks. And that's such a good point. I mean, he proved himself down there, and and he can shoot the lights out, which is what we need.
1: So I'm I'm looking at the stats right now, guys, and you're not. This is a, such a sky high, ridiculous number. And like Jonathan said, it was it was a lot of I don't want to say garbage time, but a lot of the starters were getting rest. But Matisse Thybulle, he was a plus 36 against the Rockets. He really gave Harden a difficult time whenever Harden had the ball. He ended up with four steals and two blocks. And as he is the social media sensation he's become since his YouTube videos came out, uh, there's a, a, a gif of him. Uh, the ball was coming towards him and the play had stopped and the ball was bouncing high. And he kind of did a lean back at the last second and they slow motioned it. So he looked like he was in the matrix. So it just is, there's nothing not to like about this kid. I think he's going to be a, a critical piece of the puzzle in the postseason. And I just love Matisse. He's probably one of my favorite Sixers. So he stood out to me for obvious reasons—defense, but just Matisse being Tease, right?
3: Uh, Uriah, that crazy stat too. Bubble Scott and Alec Burks went plus thirty-seven.
1: Oh, they did. I didn't even see that. Let me let me back that up.
3: Well, was he was good. he was high. He was high. It's <laughs>
1: hey, if we if we can get that type of production plus-minus against Boston, I'll take that all day. Scott could be a low key
2: uh, important piece in that rotation if he if he ends up being the. Uh, I guess it just depends on how you use Horford, but and you know if Matisse starts against you know the Celtics, but um, Scott could be an interesting wild card in that if he gets minutes, I'm sure. But no, with the Rockets game, and this has been a thing that's bothered me all season long, is that Brett Brown prefers Norville Pell over Mike's uh, Kyle Quinn. And it just drives me nuts because I know what Kyle Quinn can bring to this. You know, he's a good rebounder, he's not a shot blocker, and he's not a rim runner, but he's a really underrated passer, as we saw in the Phoenix game. And honestly, I just it blows my mind that the six that Brown does not prefers Pell over over O'Quinn, and maybe it's just because he's trying to get Pell experience because he feels like Pell can be in the organization longer because. O'Quinn's on a one-year contract. He's probably gone after this year, but I don't know. It just it bothers me that O'Quinn doesn't get more uh,
1: minutes in the rotation, all things considered. Well, speaking of, well, you're talking about our backup center or one of them. Let, let's get to our actual all-star center, Joel Embiid. And we know how much he enjoys the spotlight on social media as much as he likes to say, oh, I like just staying at home and playing video games. He does not shy away from attention or publicity. So recently he had an interview on J.J. Reddick's podcast. And and Reddick, I don't know if you guys have listened to it, he's he's pretty good at, at podcasting with questions. Oh, yeah. He's Definitely. pretty good. So mm-hmm. with players down there, they don't have much to do. Um, he was able to get Embiid on his podcast. And uh, he had some, some interesting things to say. And one of them had to do with why Embiid Started off the season so sluggishly, and he alluded to him not feeling like himself because of the changes in the lineups in the roster. So let's have some fun with this, guys, because we know that he he sobbed over the departure of Reddick and Butler. What do you think, Jonathan? Who do you think Embiid misses more, JJ Reddick or Jimmy Butler?
3: I think personally, he might miss Butler more. He got along with him really well, but I have to go Reddick. I don't know if. What MB would say, but I think he should say Redick because he made the game so much easier for Jojo. Their two-man pick and roll was incredible. It was one of the prettiest things to watch. That give and go. He could give it back to JJ in the corner. It was it was just great basketball to watch. And I think that he his ability to knock down threes made the game so much easier for Joel.
2: So yeah, I'm I'm actually just gonna echo what Jonathan said. I think personally, you know, friendship wise, uh, Butler, and Butler was one of those few guys that you know you you knew he was keeping Joel accountable on and off the court the best he could, which is hard for you know people to keep Joel accountable. So that was that was there's that, and then like you said, that that uh, uh, dribble handoff was one of the most deadliest plays in basketball between uh, Redick and Embiid. And I think Reddick had a career high in assists the two years that he played here in philly, so and I remember in the in the podcast, Reddick said that he's never going to be able to play with another player like him ever again just because Joel's so big and talented and, and you know how has a high basketball i q He doesn't believe he's going to be able to play with another center like joel in his uh in his career
1: again. I agree with both of you, I think game wise in terms of structure within the offense, the gravity that Redick had just spreading the floor for Embiid made his life easier. I just really think Butler, when Butler came to this team. And if you, if you watch the highlights of when Butler hit those game winners against Charlotte and Brooklyn Embiid was just, he was like a kid. He was like a fan in the stands, right? Except he was the teammate of Butler who was now, you know, hitting game winners. I really think Embiid looked up to Jimmy in multiple ways. And I really think him leaving, thinking, wow, this guy is someone I can learn from. And this is someone that can hold me accountable. Because we know that Butler doesn't take any crap from anyone, even the head coach. That's controversial Mm -hmm. there. I just think that Embiid, I would say he misses Butler more because he just really looked up to him. And I think he felt like he could have learned something from him. Uh, There was a game where the Sixers played, I think it was Orlando. Yeah, it was Orlando. And I think it was back in February or January. And Embiid, it was kind of he was mimicking uh, one of those clutch three point shots that Jimmy took and he actually made it. So I was like, wow, that looks just like a Butler three where the little step over. So I I think he he definitely misses um, Butler more. So moving on, one we'll stick to this for one more question. And the it, it it the question is uh what do you think about Embiid's comments about him and Ben Simmons working together and their games eventually complementing each other cuz he was he was talking to JJ Redick and he keeps trying to tell the media he's telling everybody that he wants it to work out. What do you take away from it?
3: I think that he is starting to realize that he might have the best chance to win a championship with Ben and Philly in the next couple of years. I think he can see that if they're both healthy and they work together, that they can get it done. Like you said, he's been going out of his way since he's been in the bubble to talk to people saying that he wants to play with Ben for the rest of his career. And we've never heard that before. And no one really urged him to say it or asked a question around it. He brought it up on his own volition and I, am truly starting to believe it, and it feels good because with everyone trying to tear him apart, it's good to hear from Embiid that he doesn't want that.
2: Maybe I'm just a little pessimistic, but I, you know, <laughs> I,
1: you know, I, give I us all believe- your pessimism right now. Just let it yeah. all out.
2: <laughs> I mean, I want to believe Joel, and I do believe Joel, but I, you know, I think at some point if Ben doesn't start giving more to Joel, I mean, he we saw it in the bubble that he's starting to take more three pointers, but it's. Obviously, it's not at the rate where it needs to be. and Not not at the rate where... Joel's sacrificing more for Ben than Ben is for Joel in terms of, you know, floor spacing. Areas. But, in overall, I, you know, it, I'm hoping that it works out. Like, I am. But I
1: just, you know, I need to see more from Ben. Joel's doing his part. Ben needs to start doing his part. I, I re- It sounds genuine. It, it sounds like he really wants this thing to work out. And he, he keeps bringing up examples of how he'll sacrifice things so that Ben can do what he's good at, which is driving the lane and finishing at the rim. So he'll go out to the three point line. But then he conversely said, you know, if he shoots more, that'll make things easier for me. So I, I think it was genuine. For some reason, I, got, I had this really strange feeling that Shaq got to him. I really have a feeling that maybe Shaq just had a talk with him. He's like, look, Big Phillip, you know, you guys have an opportunity to – you could be the next Shaq and Kobe or the next Shaq and Penny. You know, he talks all low and weird. And I could just imagine Shaq just talking to him, saying, look, you and Ben could be what me and Penny should have been. Could you guys imagine if, if Penny Hardaway and Shaq would have stayed together? How many championships would they have won? So I just got a feeling that yeah. either either he got to him, Shaq, or maybe he just understands that they have something special. If Ben just opens up and starts shooting. I think it's
2: an interesting point. I don't put Ben in the same cal. I don't, it's hard to compare. Who would you put in NBA history comparing Joel and Ben to? In the past, it's been Magic, Johnson, and Kareem. But, you know... I don't even know if that's a right, uh, you know, accurate description because I think Magic was a much more aggressive player offensively than Ben is uh, in terms of, you know, seeking out his own basket. Uh, So I don't, you know, I don't know, but it's, you know, if they can both, you know, willing to sacrifice for each other, uh, you know, on the same level and Ben's willing, you know, able to, you know, stretch the floor enough. And they get the right pieces around them. I think that's the biggest thing that's stopping them right now is the pieces around them. But who knows? Who knows? But, um, you know, I I speak of Ben, and, you know, we're talking about Ben, and I think we should shift gears a little bit because there's been some uh, recent trade rumors about Ben. Uh, Cleveland's definitely been one of those teams that, I guess, uh, have had rumored to have interest in Ben. So, Jonathan, do you think the – Cavaliers could offer the Sixers anything worthwhile for Ben Simmons?
3: I can be really short here. I just think the answer is no. I don't like anything that Cleveland really has. I don't think they could compile anything big enough to get Ben from us, and I'm not ready to give up on them beat Simmons, so I'm not looking to trade for uh, with Cleveland.
1: And I guess I'll be short, too. I would say yes. I think that it's not going to work with Ben and Embiid. And if I had it my way, I would, I would keep Embiid. And if Cleveland was give, willing to give up, let's say, uh, Sexton and maybe Kevin Love and maybe a first-round draft pick, I'd take that. I would take it in a heartbeat. Because now you have a, a guard that can actually give you consistent offense from all parts of the floor, and he's young. He's probably as young, or if not younger than than Simmons and Kevin Love. He's he's getting a little long in the tooth, but he gives you some three point shooting. So i I would give I would I would give up Ben for Sexton, Kevin Love, and maybe a first round pick.
2: I, I I'm sorry, Uriah. I I think Ben Simmons is worth more than Colin Sexton and aging Kevin Love and in a first round pick. And it's it, here. Here's what you have to remember: Ben Simmons is already one of the best playmakers in the NBA, one of the best defenders and versatile defenders in the NBA, a pretty good rebounder, rebounder considering that until recently he was playing point guard instead of power forward. And when given space, he's a 20-point-per-game score. Granted, he hasn't had that with Joel, but when Joel's been out, he's been averaging, what, like 21, 22 points per game? So... With that in mind, I would ask I would definitely ask for more from Cleveland and this is, uh, this is what I would ask for. Uh, I would probably ask for and I'm not saying that the Sixers should do this. I don't think they should. I don't think that, that this would be a wise choice. and I don't even think the package that I'm about to propose would be fair compensation for Ben, but this is probably the best they could offer. This is the best thing that they could offer. I still wouldn't take it because I think Joel and Ben have the potential to work, and I think you could get better packages from other teams. But this is what I would ask Cleveland for. Colin Sexton, Kevin Porter Jr., Kevin Love, and three future unprotected first-round picks.
1: Three? (laughs) And all those players? I don't even think we can fit that with their contracts. With love, making as much as he
3: does. There's no way they would do that. But I don't think either. Again, I think what you're saying, I get the premise of it, Lucas. I don't think there's enough that they can offer that I would. Within reason.
2: Yeah, within reason. Exactly. That's a deal that Cleveland shouldn't take for Ben Simmons. And if they did, they would be stupid because that would destroy any type of ability to build around Ben for the future, especially because they already have Andre Drummond on the team. Like they're yeah. going to have somebody else clogging up the paint. And unlike Ben, I mean, unlike <laughs> like Joel, Drummond can't shoot worth nothing. So th- there's really no point for them to trade for Ben. But more importantly, if, if they want to have a reasonable trade for Ben without giving up their whole entire future, it's not going to happen. It's not going to yeah, happen. Right. Unless
1: yeah. so well, you, you know that Ben is kind of the prodigy of Cleveland's, one and only basketball son, LeBron. Exactly. So that, that's, 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 that's kind of a marketing thing for them to, to get a star that resembles their, their messiah that gave them their only championship. But I would say that, guys, you, you guys are putting Ben really high up there. And individually, he gives you those stats. I'll give you that, um, Lucas, with his, his playmaking. But he doesn't fit. It's just going to be the same thing over and over again, unless he starts shooting. Which I don't. I, I'm not willing to 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 bet on that. I don't think Ben is is going to be consistent. So I I would give him up.
3: I see well. what you're saying, and I think it's just the it keeps coming back to the fit. And I think the media likes to push that a lot too. And like Lucas was saying though, he hasn't played the power forward, and I think that could be a better position for him with Embiid. I think what it comes down to is. I hate the media just keep pushing the trade. And I mean, it's something you always hear like they're not, they're never looking at the current or the positive. That's just not what happens. Like you see it in Milwaukee with Giannis. They're not talking about that team being in first in the East and potentially win the championship. They're talking about Giannis being a free agent in two years. And I think it's just constantly what's next, what's next. And that's just what people like to talk about. And I think it can sometimes force your hand to do something that's not in the best interest where, I understand that Ben and Embiid haven't been the best fit, and everyone's looking like, all right, it's time to move on, it's time to move on, but they're two incredibly talented players. They could be two top 15 players if they reach their ceilings, and and to move on from fit and take less than what they're worth, I just think is tough, and I wish they could just silence the noise, which I think Embiid's trying to do, and just let people know, you got to stop trying to pull us apart because we're not going to do it.
2: Yeah, and Jonathan, you make a really good point. You can't give up on Ben. If you're going to move on from Ben, you can't get less than equal value just because the fit of those players look better than than Ben fit. Yeah, uh, Kevin Love is getting older, and you know while the three point shooting might be there, the rebounding is probably going to regress soon. The defense is going to continue getting worse. The passing might be the same, but overall, Kevin Love's not going to be the same player. Colin Sexton is a ball dominant, non-passing point guard. You still need a playmaker on the team if if Colin Sexton's going to be on there. Kevin Porter Jr. in my hypothetical trade, Kevin Porter Jr. he's a wild card. I you know he could end up like J.R. Smith or he could end up like Ben McLemore. We really don't know, but the the potential's there. So my my point is this: is that you can't give up Ben or Joel. For a better fit, if you don't get equal value in return, and that's why the trade offer that I had, yes, is outrageous, but is n- much closer to what what Ben's actual value is. So that's that's my thoughts on it. But I guess I didn't even uh, hear about this. But um, apparently, do uh, you guys think the Knicks have anything worth of value to give Ben?
3: No, for Embiid.
2: Oh, for a Oh, for Embiid. Yeah. Oh, because the Leon Rose used to be his agent. Okay. Yeah. No, that makes sense.
3: Yeah. That's exactly the tie Lucas. So, I mean, I'm, I'm again, just sticking with no, it's similar to the last answer in my reasoning. I just am not ready to move on. I think they like move on between the two. I think they're, they need to I love Brett Brown. I think he's been dealt a bad hand and I just think it's beyond him being able to coach this team because he went through the process, but I do think he's a good coach I think he takes a little too much blame. Um, but that's who I'm gonna move on for before I get break up the Simmons Embiid uh duo. Most definitely.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't see anybody on the next roster worth getting in return for Embiid. Embiid is he's just if he could just stay healthy and <laughs> just mature. Bless you, man. Bless you. Excuse me. Yeah. If Embiid could just stay healthy and Grow from all of all of his experiences. He could be the best center in the NBA. Forget Jokic and anybody else that tries to come into this conversation. But I, I just don't see anybody on the Knicks worth worth giving up for Embiid.
2: If if you're gonna get get rid of Embiid, you need to get a stretch five, possibly another point guard, and multiple first round picks. The only thing that the Knicks have for certain is a point guard, Mitchell Robinson of still don't know what you have in him. If is if he's just a high quality bench player or a bench center, or if he's an actual starting center, he's not a stretch center by any uh, any type, you know, any way or shape or form. Point guard situation in New York is dire. It's it's awful. Um, so then you really only have the first round picks, and yes, they have a plethora of first round picks because of the trade with Dallas, but. Those picks aren't going to be worth much because Dallas is a really good team. And they're going to be a good team for a long time with Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis. So, no, there's nothing there that you could
1: really get value for, for Bede with the Knicks. All right, guys. So let's, let's get away from all the speculation and rumors. And let's get to the nitty-gritty of the reality that NBA playoff basketball is upon us. So what we're gonna do right now is go through each conference and we're gonna give our predictions based on each series. So I'll put it out there. You guys give me prediction 4 two sweep, whatever, and then maybe give you know some type of comment about what you think is important about the series. So the first one in, in, our, in our notes have Lakers versus to be determined. But we all know that yesterday's playing game came out in favor of the Portland Trailblazers. So let's start with that. Uh, Jonathan, what do you think is going to be the result of the Lakers versus Portland Trailblazers?
3: I have 4-1 Lakers. I think it could be 4-2 if Dame and CJ keep playing like they've been playing and Nurkic keeps dominating the glass. But I think we'll have a little more trouble uh, inside with AD this series. I think the Lakers are just a better team, but Portland's really hot right now, so you expect them to take at least one. I'm actually – Part of me wants to say the
2: Blazers are going to upset them, but I think without Trevor Ariza in their lineup, I don't think they have anybody that can even do a halfway decent job guarding LeBron. And I mean, you could say the same thing about the Lakers not having anybody that could really defend Damian with both Rondo and uh, Reginald Rondo and Avery Bradley not being available. So I think this series is going to be four-three Lakers, but it is going to be a fun seven-game series with. Damian Lillard going all out and I think I think the one thing that has been underrated is clutch mellow in the bubble here bubble mellow being clutch mellow or is it skinny mellow or it's skinny mellow right now so yeah skinny mellow being clutch mellow right now I think that's an underrated thing and that's definitely something that the Lakers need to worry about uh, in this series so I think it's going to be a fun seven game series I think LeBron's going to wheel it but Gosh, it's going to be fun to watch him and Damien go all
3: at it.
1: Yeah, I think I'm jumping on a board here. I think Lakers are going to, they're going to, I'd say six games. I think they'll win 4 or 2. Damien Lillard is on another planet right now. But to like you said, Lucas, no one's going to be able to stop LeBron. Uh, nobody on the Blazers team can, or any team in the NBA for that matter. So, yeah, as much as I would love to see Dame advance and maybe get a championship. <laughs> Maybe he'll come to the Sixers and get a championship. I don't know. But hey, I think the Lakers are going to take that one in six. So the next series on the list is the – oh, this is – I can't wait for this series, guys. The Houston Rockets versus the Oklahoma City Thunder. What do you got, Jonathan?
3: I'm glad we're talking about this. You and I were talking a little before we started this, but uh, I think this is going to be the most interesting series of the first round. And I got the Thunder in seven. I think they'll win 4-3. All uh Russell Westbrook's a little questionable. You don't know how long he's going to be out, one, two games. But the Thunder have been overachieving all year, and they're just a well-coached team on and off the court. Chris Paul's the extension of the coach. And they have young talent that is dangerous, and I I think they can take down the Rockets. So
2: before I answer this,
3: let me ask you guys if you
2: know or not. Is Steven Adams available for the playoffs? Because uh, he uh, got
1: injured during
2: the seating games.
1: Uh, I haven't heard anything. Last time I saw him, he was doing a major dunk on someone's head in the highlight recently. So
3: I'm not positive, Lucas, but that is a thing because the Rockets don't have any height. So
2: Yeah, I think obviously Stephen Adams' health is a major issue. If not, they still have New Orleans Noel. And while, you know, he's not going to be a force inside, he's still a solid rebounder and much quicker to get out on the perimeter and guarding three-point shooters. So that, that's still positive for the Thunder. And you know what? I'm, if Westbrook misses more than one game, I think we have a real chance for the Rockets to be upset in the first round, which is crazy because they're like the Sixers. I think the Rockets are the Western Conference Sixers in the fact that they have the, they have the lowest floor and also the highest ceilings in terms of playoff uh, expectations. You, you know what I mean? Like they could be a first round exit or they could, you know, especially before, before injuries to both, you know, Westbrook and Simmons, they could have you know challenged for conference finals. So, but I think the thunder and, you know, I'm happy that we got their pick. Um, but I think overall, I think, I think the thunder are just, I think Chris Paul's just going to do this thing and it's going to be pretty and it's going to be fun. And I just don't think the Rockets have enough shot making without both Westbrook and Harden in the lineup.
1: I think I'll go with the Rockets. I think they, their style of play is, is going to give the Thunder problems, especially if Adams is, is the starting center. If obviously if, if Westbrook is going to miss a certain number of games, that is definitely going to be detrimental to their, to what they were trying to do. But I think the Rockets definitely have enough firepower to get past the Thunder and, and I'm I'm glad for a CP. I mean, he's he's a leader. He's he probably deserves a ring by now because he's been in the league so long. But I think Harden's going to advance, and especially if Westbrook is is playing beside him. The next series is very interesting, guys. I mean, we have Luka Doncic, who people are saying he might be one of the top three players in the entire league. Oh, he already players, is. Right. It's he already very, is. It's very debatable. I mean, if you consider. Mm-hmm both defensive and offense. Offensively, he's he's definitely top three. But this series is going to be very, very entertaining. We have the L.A. Clippers versus the Dallas Mavericks. Who you got, Jonathan?
3: I got the Clippers. I got them winning in six. Like you were saying, I think he's top five right now, definitely. Um, And I think he's an MVP in the next two to three years, Luka, that is. I think the Mavs are a really good team. Honestly, next year could be the year that they – get to the conference finals or make a little bit more noise. But I think this year the Clippers are the most complete team. They got Kawhi and Paul George, and I just think that they've been waiting for the playoffs. They've been waiting for this moment. This is what they're going to do. And I think it's going to be an absolutely amazing series to watch. And I'm looking forward to watching the Mavs in future years, but I got the Clippers this year, 4-2. to
2: So I think it's fair to say that the Mavericks have one of the best young dynamic duos in the league. They complement each other a lot more than, you know, Ben and Joel do, even though there's obviously comparisons there. You know, dynamic, tall playmaker with talented big man. But um, in terms, this is not a favorable matchup for the uh, Mavericks because, like Jonathan said, the Clippers are one of the deepest teams in the NBA. Their third string could probably still be a, you know, team that wins over, like, 30 games, I would say, their third string. Which is scary if you think about that. Because you got players like Joe Keem No. Joe Keem No is not a joke. Like he's still like when he plays, he's not like he's not washed up. It's just that they're so talented and deep that they don't need him to play that much. And you know, you got other guys like Jermichael Green and you know, they, they played this whole entire bubble without um gosh, probably the guy who's gonna win 6 man of the year and Montrez Harrell. So I think the Clippers are gonna win this. I think if I, I want to say six, but my gut says five games. I think the just the, <laughs> the overwhelming depth of like the Dallas has good players, but they're not most of their like okay, like most of the Clippers' second unit would be starters on other teams. So that's that's where I'm at with that, and I think just overall it's going to be too much for Ma- the Mavericks. Is, you know depth is good, but. It's not nearly as good as the um, as the Clippers, so I think
1: depth is where it wins out here. If Lou Williams doesn't get banned from the bubble because he's going to Magic City to get lemon pepper wings, I think I think the Clippers I think the Clippers can win, but they need Lou Will to stay out of the strip club. Just stay in the bubbles, Lou, and and just do what you got to do for the team. I think the apparently magic- those apparently those wings are magical, according to other talking heads that have been
2: there. I, I've never been to Atlanta, so I don't know. But apparently the <laughs> wings are to like the best in the
3: world. So I, I, well, I was gonna say think someone had to say that because every single show that's been on, at least one person comes on and says, you don't know how good the wings are. And it's like, all right, well, if we're going to talk about it, someone on this show has got to say it, too. Right, (laughs) I haven't. uh, I you
2: know what? I I don't know. I don't know. The only person I know that lives in Atlanta is Chris, but I don't
1: think he's been there. So I don't. I don't know. I can I can say firsthand that um, I didn't have their wings, but I've been to Magic City. (laughs) Oh, have you? Oh my goodness! This is this is twenty years ago, guys. But Uh, hey, what happened to basketball? Anyway, uh, my (laughs) prediction. Who brought up those damn wings anyway? Oh, that you was, did. That was my bad. You I did. just love wings, man. I just love wings. But anyway, all joking aside, like you were saying, Lucas, the depth for the Clippers is ridiculous. They have players who could be starters sitting on their bench. And as much as I love Lucas' game, he's very, very talented. And Porzingis is just a beast doing what he does. I say the Clippers in six. I think it'll be competitive, but it won't go to a game seven. And the last series, guys, in the Western Conference is another potential really tough matchup, two similar teams in terms of style. We have the Denver Nuggets and the Utah Jazz. Jonathan, what is your prediction?
3: I got the Nuggets, and I got them in five. I think it's going to be four to one. Uh, Mike Conley went home today for the birth of his son, I think. So he's out of the bubble, and will probably miss the majority of the series. Um And I just think if the Clippers don't win the West, I think the Nuggets are my pick too. They're extremely talented. Their depth is incredible. Jeremy Grant's been playing great off the bench. Michael Porter Jr. is an absolute beast. And obviously, everyone knows they have Jokic, who's still playing like himself, even though he's slimmed down. I think they're a dangerous team, and they're probably the second most likely team, in my opinion, to win the West.
2: So before the bubble... I was really worried because I was like, is Mike Malone going to trust Michael Porter Jr.? And granted, he didn't really have much choice, but Michael Porter Jr. has repaid that opportunity and big dividends. And he's going to be, even though he's a rookie, I think he's going to be a major div. He's going to, I think he makes the, the Nuggets a potential uh, Western Conference final team, to be honest, because just, you know, you look at what, Michael Porter Jr. brings. He's a three-level scorer and he's just he's hard to defend cuz he's 6'10" and he has a dribble. So, you know, you have to consider that. Um and so without uh, without Conley for most likely going to be most of the series cuz even if he comes back soon, he's going to have to quarantine at least 4 days I think is the minimum. So he's going to at least miss one or two games, and then they also still don't have Bogdanovich. You know, he got injured. He uh, he got surgery for an in, uh, injury that he received during the regular season. He's not going to be playing. So they're without two of their best uh, five or six players. No, they're the the Utah Jazz are too depleted, and I don't see them getting past the Nuggets. I see it in uh, five games.
1: Yeah, I'm going to keep it simple. I think the Nuggets are going to have their way with the Jazz, who will sorely miss Bogdanovich. And I think it'll be 5-1. I think the Nuggets are going to handle business, and they you can't sleep on that team because they do have a lot of talent. So let's let's switch on over to the Eastern Conference, and let's look at the predictions of each series. And we're going to start, Jonathan, with the Milwaukee Bucks versus the Orlando Magic.
3: The Bucs are going to sweep this series. I mean, the Orlando's got the home court advantage. The only team with the true kind of, I guess, home court advantage. It's somewhat in their city, but uh, Bucks get this in four.
2: Yeah, I'm going to agree. the The um, Buck, the Magic, are without Jonathan Isaac, who was probably the best player that you could put on Giannis on their team, and Alvaro Camino, who is the second best player that you could put to defend Giannis. Um, and I don't even know what Aaron Gordon's health situation is, because last time I checked, he was injured during the, towards the end of the bubble. So who knows that? So they're really depleted at power forward. Um, that in mind, I just don't see them. Yeah, I think they're going to get swept, and it's not going to be – it's going to be – I think for, they might make one or two games
1: close, but it's going to be a majority blowout. So wait, the Bucks are playing someone? <laughs> <laughs> oh Orlando has a team I thought Orlando was hosting the bubble oh I'm sorry guys so yeah just it'll be break out the brooms it's over they they might as well not even lace up the sneakers let's move on uh Raptors versus Nets Jonathan what do you got
3: I got another sweep here and it's and it's tough to say the next part but the Raptors are my pick coming out of the east I think uh they're playing so great they're just clicking on all cylinders, even without Kawhi. Nick Nurse has done an incredible job. Uh, and the basketball they've been playing late is is amazing. So the Nets in their way is nothing. I think they're already looking on to the next uh, series matchup. Yeah,
2: I'm going to say the Raptors, too, I think is a sweep. And you bring up a good point. And you know who this Raptors team reminds me of? 2004 Pistons. That Pistons yeah. dynasty.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: Uh, Lowry definitely has shades of Chauncey Billups. Pascal Siakam, I mean, there's no real good comparison for Pascal, but at the same point, he's just, you know, that the gritty defense of that whole entire team, and anybody could burn you at any given night. It's just, it reminds me of the 2004, you know, Pistons, that Pistons dynasty, and I think that you're right that they have a good chance of coming out of the East, especially – if Giannis and the Bucks don't walk in defensively.
1: Lucas, that's a good comparison. I, I remember that team very well, coached by Larry Brown. I think they had four all-stars that year, but they did not have a definitive superstar, and they he- just play really well together. They're coached just superbly by Nick Nurse, and they have experience. So I, I got the Raptors in four games as a sweep, and this next series, guys, there's going to be some <laughs> drama, some straight drama for you. We all know the the beef between T.J. Warren and Jimmy Butler. So, uh, Jonathan, what do you think? The Miami Heat versus the Indiana Pacers. Who are you going with?
3: I think the Heat are going to win, and it's probably going to be six or seven. I guess, I guess if I have to pick them, I'm going to go seven, four, three Heat. Uh, I think the Heat have been playing great. Jimmy's leading a, a young team. They got knockdown shooters. Um, their rookies are playing well. And I just think that this is a team that I didn't want to see going into the playoffs. So uh, I, I'm, I was saying that we should be the sixth seed. I think I wrote an article about a couple weeks back that that's the most ideal for the Sixers. And one of the main reasons was the Heat. Uh, I, I am looking forward to seeing the TJ Jimmy Butler beef. But let's, uh, let's go with Heat in seven.
2: I'm going to go with heat and, and and i want to i almost want to say five but i'll give the pacers the benefit of the doubt and say six though just because uh well no i'm gonna say five because they don't have sabonis Sabonis is out and sabonis was the only guy that could really give the heat any type of problems inside because miles turner isn't going to do it yes victor oladipo is starting to look like himself again and yes tj warren is probably the biggest surprise bo- player in the bubble uh, but at the same time, when they played the Heat earlier in the bubble, Jimmy Butler locked that down. T.J. Warren was not effective at all, and I expect that to happen most of the series. I, I like T.J. Warren, but at the same time, Jimmy Butler, when Jimmy Butler has beef with you, you you are not going to have a good game. And that's just how it is, because he makes it personal. And I think this is a five-game series, just because without some bonus, they don't... And the fact that he have multiple de- defenders to defend both uh, T.J. Warren and Victor Oladipo, I just – I don't think it's going to be – I think they're going to be close five games and ugly five games, ugly in a good way. But uh, I just – I don't think it's – I don't think the Pacers have enough without, uh, without Sabonis to make this a, a, a tight series.
1: Yeah, I agree. Sabonis being out is a really – really horrible situation for the Pacers who they've endured a lot. And as long as they have Brogdon and um, Oladipo, I think they're going to make every game competitive. And I'm going to give Pacers a little bit more credit. I'm going to have them pushing Miami to seven games. But again, the the X factor is is Jimmy Butler who is just a bulldog and he will do whatever it takes to help his team advance. So, I'll go uh, Heat and seven. So here we go, guys. This is what every listener has been waiting for, right? The last series we're going to cover and give our predictions for the first round of the NBA playoffs, Sixers-Celtics. Who are we picking? Jonathan, give it to us.
3: Sixers and seven. Book it. Oh, (laughs) seven games. I I am just thinking extremely optimistic. Look, realistically, the Celtics are – somewhat of a tough matchup with the guard play, like I was talking about earlier. The only way we win is if MB dominates, which I think we all expect him to, but he has to take it to another level to actually push us past the Celtics. The Obviously, being without Ben, it's just going to be a different dynamic. I'm not the most confident in that pick, but I'm trying to hold on to it and convince myself anywhere I can. So Sixers and Seven.
2: So, uh, before I state mine, I'm going to say this. If the Sixers... For the Sixers to win this series, Joel's going to have to average over 35 a game, and Tobias Harris is going to have to average over 25 a game. I think it's totally possible for Joel to average 35 against the Celtics. I don't know if it's possible for Tobias Harris to average 25 for the whole entire series, especially with Tatum becoming a very good defender. That being said, I'm thinking, you know, and I, I, I... I've I've been jumping back and forth on this. If Ben was in this series, I have the Sixers winning in like six. Without Ben, I think the Sixers lose in six. I know. (laughs) I know. I know. I I should have more confidence. But without Ben manning the defense on the perimeter, Jason Tatum is going to have his way. Even if uh, Matisse Thibel comes in, is good defensively, doesn't get in foul trouble, I just don't see enough defense against that perimeter attack of Gordon Hayward. Basically, they have four perimeter players that could go off for 20 points at any given time. And that's not including Marcus Smart, who has somehow become better offensively this season. At least it feels like it, because every time I see him in the box score, he's having like 15 or 20-point games. I'm like, where is this coming from? And so I just – as much as I would like uh, like the Sixers to win – Without Ben's defense, I'm just not confident, and I don't think they have quite enough to get over the hump defensively to to stop this uh, Celtics. Now, the the only saving grace is that we still have an Embiid, and I think he's going to lock down the paint, so it's going to be hard for them to score inside the paint. If they don't, if they have bad shooting series, that that might be the Sixers' only saving grace if they have bad perimeter shooting series. And that's just something that we'll have to wait and see. But right now, without Ben, I think it's fair to say that the Sixers are probably going to lose in six.
1: I I posted an article that I wrote yesterday, and it focused on the distinction between Brett Brown and Brad Stevens. And the response from people on social media to, to what I wrote was visceral. People are feeling what I'm feeling, and that is... No faith in Brett Brown. And if you really look at the success that Brad Stevens has had since going back to his Butler days, he's just, even though he hasn't won a championship, I know people are out there saying, he hasn't won anything. Well, he's a pretty damn good coach. And I think when it comes to scheming for the playoffs and making adjustments, getting the best and maximizing the strengths of his players, I think think he has Brett Brown's number. In the, the regular season, the Sixers won the series 3-1. That's out the window right now because they're in a bubble. And it, it's it's kind of like a pickup game, right? Even even we watch it on TV and it, it there's all this aggression and, and passion. The stakes are going to be raised. And I like what you said, Lucas, about Embiid needing to average 35 and Harris 25. I don't think Harris can average 25 a game just because they have so many wing defenders on Boston. Mm-hmm. That being said, I gotta stay consistent with the article that we all contributed to with predictions i sorry, Jonathan, I got the sixers losing in six, so there you have it. sixers looks like it's gonna be another disappointing off season guys
2: and and to be fair, and just to make this point here, I think me and your would both have the sixers winning in like six or seven if Ben was playing, but oh yes. Yeah. Is- absolutely yeah. i agree but, i agree but, but 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 that's not the case here and yeah. um, unless like kemba walker goes out which i don't think is going to happen i think he's going to play even if it's in a limited role i the celtics are going to win this and i think the other thing to note is that Ben not being in the series does not absolve brown either what how brown coaches through the series and how how much of a series this is will help make or break Brown's case, but I honestly don't think Ben being injured will help his job security
1: in any sort of way. Okay, so now that we've given our predictions, we're going to move on to our last item for the podcast, and that is our social media poll of the week. And the question had to do with, obviously, the series upcoming. The question was, which Boston Celtic is the biggest playoff threat to the Sixers? And the two options were... Jason Tatum, and Kemba Walker. Now, the uh Twitter follower that we have, uh, his name is at Vladis Knight. He gave the most interesting response, and he simply stepped outside of our options and said, quote unquote, whoever Furcon defending. <laughs> yeah. That's so mean. It is That's... mean.
3: <laughs> it is me, but
1: this, he kind of has a point. What do you guys think? Jonathan, who do you think is the bigger threat between Kemba and Tatum?
3: I, I like the right in poll there. I think I have <laughs> Whoever
1: for uh uh
3: But uh, between the two options, I think it's Kemba. I mean, that's what I was talking about earlier on. I think he gives us the biggest matchup problems. He's a vet in the league. He knows how to run a team. He's averaged, I think, 22 over the three games that he played in against the Sixers this season. And – uh I just think he's going to be a problem for us to guard. So uh, there's a reason they call him Cardiac Kemba, and I think that he's probably the bigger issue. So first off, I'm
2: a little bit more confident in Corkmaz. I know Chris isn't, (laughs) and I know this Twitter follow clearly isn't. Uh, And Brown seems to be confident in Corkmaz. We'll have to wait and see. But I think overall, I think his offense is going to – you know, balance out the poor defense. Um, and as long as Maz is being, giving in effort, that's all I really ask of him on the defensive end. Uh, that being said, it's clearly Jason Tatum. Josh Richardson is going to do what Josh Richardson does on on Kemba Walker, and I think Jake Milton's not a bad matchup either based off of his length alone. So, you know, that being said, and I also think Joel B being in the paint is going to slow Kemba down getting shots inside. Especially in the playoffs because we all know small guards don't usually do well in the playoffs. Uh, Jason Tatum, on the other hand, without Ben, Jason Tatum, I believe to, correct me if I'm wrong, but the guy's like six eight six nine, like a solid 230. Toby's not going to match up against uh, you know Tatum because Toby's not a Toby's a you know okay defender he's probably like an average defender, uh, but he's not going to be able to contain Tatum. Toby's probably going to be on Gordon Hayward. And like I said I think Tobias uh, uh, Matisse Thibault is going to be the one that's going to end up guarding Tatum and while Thibault's good he's also given up one the 2 inches to um to Tatum and some poundage and Tatum has been you know playing like a superstar uh since the All-Star break so I just think Tatum's the the he's he's going to be a Dick, he's going to be a multi-perennial all-star. He's going to Tatum's probably going to make I had him making an, an all NBA team this season, I believe. And uh in a recent uh, group article that we did. So I think overall it's just going to be Tatum and I I don't think it's close there.
1: Well, I think I might have to go out and and stretch my imagination and and do like our our Twitter friend Vladis Knight said, and and someone that no one's ever really talking about when it comes to the Celtics, and um, yeah, I think Cantor's going to get into some foul trouble, and and Tice is going to have some issues. So I think the player of the Sixers got to look out for is Taco Fall. Oh my, <laughs> maybe. I, I, all right. So, all right. So here, I just wanted to say his name. Because I, I love saying that just the name, anybody whose name is taco just goes down in history of the coolest names in the NBA. No. All right. All BS aside guys, I'm going to side with Lucas. I think Tatum is going to be a problem. I think he brings a set of skills and physical attributes that Kemba just does not have. We saw Kemba struggle against none other than our defensive specialist in Matisse Thybul. So I think Tatum is that guy. I think he's going to he's going to light us up and he'll probably be the big reason biggest reason why that the Sixers go out in 6. Sorry Jonathan. I don't think it's going to happen that way.
3: <laughs> I'm right and we can we can talk about this in about a week and a half. Hey look, if the Sixers do win,
1: Jonathan, I think that's better for us cuz it'll give us more great podcasts to continue talking about our favorite team. So I really hope they go 7 games. And I hope they win. That's just not realistic to me. I'll
3: make sure I forward this podcast down to my friends Ben and Joel in the bubble. Yeah, Never. yeah, yeah. You do that. <laughs> Come and take me out for a beer.
2: Yeah, you, you know what? Actually, you should send it to Mike uh, Bubble Scott because you know that's his new nickname now. We're gonna, <laughs> uh, you know, let me. I'm gonna tweet this right now while we're recording, guys, so that as Mike Scott know that Mike Scott knows that his new nickname is Bubble Scott. This this is a thing. I'm I'm on the Twitter right now, and
1: I'm going to go ahead and tweet it. Get them involved. There you go. I think that's it, guys. Is there uh, anything else you want to say before we we sign off?
2: Uh, I think overall, I I got out all that I
1: wanted to say. Um,
2: like I said, I think Shake Melon's going to be a big part here. Um, Alec, oh, and I said this in the last podcast, and I'll say it again. Alec Burks is going to be is the best six man that we've had in a very long time, probably since Lou Williams. And it's going to be a shame because I don't think we're going to be able to afford him this summer unless we trade
3: somebody else.
1: Well, hopefully, Brand can can make some magic happen, right?
3: Yeah, and I would just say the last thing I I was thinking is I was saying before Al Horford's the X factor. Um, I think Tobias fits in that, too. I think those two players are going to be determining the series. I think we all know that Embiid is going to have a big series and put up numbers, and that's what he needs to do for us to win. But that's more expected, and I think Al Horford and Tobias Harris can turn the tide for the Sixers in the series.
1: All right. So that being said, uh, we want to first start off by thanking Jonathan for coming on. And being a guest on the Six or Sense podcast. Thank you, Jonathan. We hope you can join us
3: again in the future. Absolutely. It's always fun coming on and talking with you guys. Very cool.
1: Very cool. So that's it for us, guys. This is Uriah Young and Lucas Johnson on behalf of the Six or Sense podcast if you get a chance, we really would appreciate comment on anything relative to our articles or even the podcast. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple, iTunes and Spreaker and all the other platforms that we're on. We really appreciate you guys tuning in. Until next time, hopefully we'll be talking about Sixers victories. Take care.